This is the day the Lord has made. We'll rejoice and be glad in it. This is the Bread of Life. I'm Joe Van Hoogen, and our program is presented to you by the International Discipleship Ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism. I want to encourage you to go to cpeonline.org or traincpe.org to learn about the amazing work we're doing all around the world. You can also go to breadoflifeboise.org and learn about our Missions Church Fellowship here in Boise, Idaho. It's from that fellowship that we share with you God's Word. Today, our focus is on the spiritual phenomenon called awakening. No one comes to God for salvation without first experiencing an awakening, where they become acutely aware that they're in trouble, and in their distress, they seek for an answer that only God can give them. They, in essence, ask, What must I do to be saved? I was thinking about this message, and this is really a follow-up on what we spoke about last week. We'll have to do some review over what we spoke about last week. But one of the things that I hope that you take away from what we all speak about this morning, you who have been led by the Spirit of Christ to put all of your faith in Him for your salvation, I hope you'll come away with the understanding that there is no sense of entitlement in the child of God. Well, actually, that's not true. Once having given my life to Christ and received Him as my Savior, God bestows upon me through the Holy Spirit the power to be called a child of God. And as a result, I become an heir of His salvation, and I'm entitled to that. That is my entitlement as a child of God. But prior to that, leading up to that, that very moment at which I put my faith in Christ, nothing preceding that moment in time, nothing preceding the moment in time in which I put my faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, nothing entitled me to anything that I received after it. Nothing. There is no entitlement to anything in the Christian life apart from what God has given me by adopting me into His family through faith in Jesus Christ. At that moment in time, now I have an entitlement that has been placed upon me by God the Father. But I cannot trace through to my heritage. What it means is this. Whether my father was a pastor or not, or whether your grandfather was a pastor, or whether you can trace your heritage back to the Puritans and the moment in which they came upon soil in America and consecrated this ground to God, none of that entitles you to the experience and graces of the Lord Jesus Christ and forgiveness and the promise of eternal home. The only thing that entitles you is that moment when by faith you personally cried out for mercy and put all of your trust and faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And in that act, God adopted you into His family and gave you the work of new birth of regeneration. And at that moment, He placed upon you His own entitlement. And now, now you can claim all kinds of things based on that, but nothing prior, nothing preceding that moment entitles you to that. I hope, I hope to some extent, you'll gain at least that application or implication from what we talk about this morning. Last week we talked about the condition of unsaved people, of unbelieving people, of people who the Bible describes as lost in their sins and still under the righteous wrath or judgment of God for their sins. And we described the spiritual state of these individuals, that there is an insensitivity, a almost imperceptibility to the movements and ways of God in their lives. In Romans chapter 3 verse 11, these individuals are described as both ignorant and 
inert. That is, they're motionless. They're not moving anywhere. There it says that there is no one who understands God and there is none that seeks after God. Not only are they ignorant of any knowledge of God, but knowing that they're ignorant of any true knowledge of God, they do not move themselves in a direction that seeks to know God whatsoever. There's no one who understands, ignorant. No one who seeks, inert. There's an inertia settling over the spirit of unsaved, unbelieving, lost individuals that does not move them in the direction of God whatsoever. Nothing within themselves pushing them or moving them along towards God. Not only that, not only are they not being pushed or moved along towards God in their life, but they are absolutely antagonistic towards the things of God. So we saw in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. There it says in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, that men, the unsaved, lost men, speaking as a whole generic expression of the human experience, by nature, suppress the truth in unrighteousness. What God is revealing to be true about Himself what God is making known about Himself throughout all of creation, they suppress, they are in their spirits antagonistic to truth. Not only ignorant, not only inert, but antagonistic towards that truth. And then we went on to find this. On top of this ignorance and this inertia and this antagonism that is in the spirit of the unbelieving person, there is added to this a active work of the God of this age, Satan. And the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 4, that the God of this age works to blind the minds of those who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ should shine upon them. That is, that the enemy, Satan, is involved in a universal strategy to impair the vision of individuals so that they cannot see the glory of the good news of God shining out from the work and the worth of the person of Jesus Christ. They're being blinded. The God of this age is blinding them. Think of that. They're ignorant. They're inert. They're antagonistic. Now they're being blinded by an outside force. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 sums up the condition, the spiritual condition of the lost man and woman. It says that they are dead in their trespasses and sins. That they're separated from a life with God. As a result, they're separated from the spiritual and mental invigoration that God would grant. This death is, as we mentioned, likened to an individual who is in a deep stupor of sleep, in a lethargy that has overcome them so that they lie in a catatonic state of imperceptibility. We'll see that emphasized in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14, which I'm going to mention again a little bit later in our passage. Ignorant, inert, suppressing, antagonistic, blinded, dead. Now, what the Bible has commanded the follower of Jesus Christ to do is to declare this good news to lost, unbelieving, sinful people that they may put their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and be saved. But the legitimate question is, how is it possible to communicate this message to individuals in this state? How are they ever going to hear us? How are they ever going to receive it? How are they ever going to respond? Actually, this adds a little bit of a mystery to our own lives. Here I am standing before you as an individual who has put their faith in Jesus Christ, and I'm declaring to you a message that I heard and responded to. How did I hear it? How did I respond? What happened that I could be in this position to declare this wonderful news to you when, when it came to me, 
It came to an individual who was ignorant and inert and antagonistic and blind and dead. How? How so you? If you've believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this describes what your spiritual condition once was. There are individuals here today who have been in the church almost their entire life who very likely are still in this position because, well, as we discussed last week, you can become an expert in the religion of Christianity and quite a powerful advocate for it, even evangelical Christianity, and cross off all the theological T's and dot all the theological I's and still be, in essence, ignorant and inert and suppressing the truth of God and blind and dead. You're not entitled to these things simply because you were raised up in the church or went to Sunday school as a young boy or girl. It's possible. In fact, this is one of the reasons why we picked up this whole series. Next week, we'll talk about repentance. Next week after that, we're going to talk about probably repentance again, but eventually we're going to talk about faith and conversion and just some of the basic things that we should understand in the life of the church and how interesting in the church that we need to do a summary of faith. You know, the Bible actually tells us in Ephesians that we need to move on from the preliminary things, but you can only move on from where you've been. And in our day and age in the church, there's a recognized need that we need to go and make sure we've been to these places. There is an assumption of the salvation of many individuals who are merely adherents to a different community that, where they find a certain sort of uplift. They become advocates of that community, but it may be that, well, they're still ignorant and inert and antagonistic and blind and dead. So we need to talk about these things. We need to discover these things. For us, what it should do is convince us that there is nothing preceding my life before I came to faith in Jesus Christ that entitles me to any claim in, in the inheritance of the Christian. Nothing. It should cause me to be overwhelmingly grateful for the merciful love of God that showered out upon myself and not to find in myself any one thing to hold up as a merit towards my salvation. For others, it should compel them to a certain kind of insecurity and not resting somehow in certain kinds of Christian religiosity. An insecurity that says, Oh God, do this work in my life and complete it. This Work that takes me from ignorance and inertia and antagonism and blindness and death. So how is it that we communicate this gospel to these individuals? And what we did last week was we discovered or we began to consider what God's part is and what God does in order to bring people and this good news to individuals. We said that God provides a remedy. The first thing God does is God seeks to provide a remedy. We took 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verse 16. And there we saw how God speaking to the nation of Judah, at a point where they're about ready to come under tremendous judgment, how God says that He sent to them messengers and prophets to speak to them, but they would not listen to them until they came to the point where there was no remedy for them. And what the verse tells us is this. Before God brought judgment to any individual, He sought over and over again to bring them the remedy of an invitation to come out from underneath that judgment. So God seeks a remedy for us. There is no individual, no individual who stand before the judgment of God and will be able to say to God, you didn't give me information so that I could avoid this judgment. No. In one way or another, in one way or another, God has been providing information to provide a remedy for individuals. But the case of history is this. They did not respond. They did not answer. The remedy was set aside 
There was no remedy other than judgment. The next thing that we said God does is that He draws people to Himself. He draws people to His salvation. We gave four verses. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3. The Lord speaks to the prophet Jeremiah and says, I have loved you with an everlasting love, and therefore I have drawn you with loving kindness. Now he's speaking to the nation of Judah, the very nation that he's about ready to judge, the very nation that has ignored his prophets and ignored the remedy of his truth coming to them. And God says, not only have I done that, but I have attended to your life and I've watched over you and I've poured loving gifts upon you. I've established my sovereign rule over your life in such a way that every difficulty and every hardship, every circumstance of your life was designed to draw you to myself. I have loved you with an everlasting love, therefore I've drawn you with loving kindness. And that's what God does. In every individual's life, God is sovereignly working through the details of their life to position them and place them in a place where they might respond to Him. Romans chapter 2, verse 4 puts it this way. There, Paul asked if individuals despise the riches of God's goodness and forbearance and patience. Do you despise the riches of the goodness that God has poured upon you? That is God seeking your advantage. The forbearance of God in which He doesn't judge you for the things that you deserve. The patience of God waiting for your right response to Him. Not knowing, he says, that God's goodness, God's constant seeking of your advantage, is meant to lead you to repentance. That is a picture of God working and orchestrating the events of your life in order to coax from you a turning to Him and relying upon Him. He's drawing people. It's the same idea. This has been the Bread of Life. To learn more about our work abroad or at home or to get a copy of this message, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, God bless you.